This episode of Talk of the Devils is sponsored once more by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit 1 million orders phase. Yep, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling ETH style turtleneck sweaters or blueprints for brand new stadiums, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to Talk of the Devils, you can sign up for our $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash reddevils, all in lowercase without any spaces. So go to shopify.com slash reddevils to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash reddevils. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. Our Premier League season is at an end and just one fairly important match in the FA Cup final to go. But Manchester United have finished third. We're going to reflect on that on Talk of the Devils, speak about the season that was, talk about that final day victory over Fulham. We will finally, as promised, rip open our mailbag to go through your emails as well. We've got loads to get through on that, which is brilliant. We'll reflect on the end of the WSL season as well and have a brief look ahead to the FA Cup final with Manchester City too, although we will do a podcast later on in the week with a proper preview to that massive match at Wembley next weekend. Right, we've got Laurie Whitwell and Andy Mitten with us. Hello, gentlemen, you all right? Hi, guys, you all right? Hello, Ian. Hello, Laurie. Let's get cracking. Let's get cracking indeed. Laurie, you were at Old Trafford to witness Manchester United 2, Fulham 1. Not loads to reflect on maybe in terms of this game, but what was your impression being there? Well, the main takeaway was probably Eriksen Hag's speech after the game, which you know, we expected. It's a customary thing for the manager to kind of give a send-off, but I thought he seized the moment to really put a stamp on the season that had gone, but also throw it forward to... Um, the Manchester derby that will be at Wembley on Saturday and I know we'll, we'll come to that and maybe we don't want to dwell too much on it but I just thought it showed a real uh, sharpness for what the crowd were hoping for and expecting uh, basically he, you know, he took the mic and said thanks so much for your support throughout the whole season we need you again on Saturday at Wembley we've got a chance the players will give everything with you behind them and we have feel like we've got a really good opportunity to bring the cup back and that kind of just really invigorated Old Trafford it was a properly uh, raucous atmosphere at that moment and then they did the lack of appreciation and it was all it, it was quite sweet actually seeing some of the players kids on the pitch going up and scoring the goals and getting a big cheer uh, Anthony Marshall's um, kid I think did a pretty decent finish actually for one um, one goal so um, and then where does he get yeah, that from? <laughs> well exactly I mean he, and Marshall got serenaded down the um, down the tunnel as well you know with, with his song which you know so I suppose it's the kind of you know afterglow of a a decent season that people sort of forget any yeah. issues that they've had previously. 
But I do think that, you know, the fact that they actually won the game was important because it meant, you know, finishing third above Newcastle, which I think is significant. It also meant that they've got 75 points, which is actually one more than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got in his best season, you know, when they finished second. Only four fewer than what they got in the treble season. I listened to the pod where you guys were sort of trying to figure out how much it was. And, and I, I I know it in my head, weirdly, because I remember it being 79 points for United, 78 points for Arsenal, and, and it kind of being a pretty low season overall. So, I mean, I know that the you know, Premier League has moved on now and you need, you need, you know, I mean, City have won the league with 89 points and, you know, they've lost the final game. You know, you, you kind of need high 80s, 90s to win this league. Uh, and that's something that Eric Tanag was asked about afterwards, uh, which I'll touch on um, after I finish this classically long answer. Um, but I, I Andy's do feel like... here as well, you know that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Go on, finish it off. I feel like it was important that United won the game and the fact that they came from behind, you know, I mean, Eric Tanag said that they needed a wake-up call. They started poorly, organisation out of possession was bad, went 1-0 down, conceded a penalty, Mitrovic was there for his vengeance and oh no, David De Gea saved from the spot and he booted the ball into the stands. He looked like he was on a tear at that point. <laughs> Eric Tenard called it a massive wake-up call. He thanked uh, David De Gea for that and then from there United actually were with a better team and scored. Okay, a bit, bit fortunate with the first goal with Sancho but the second goal was really uh, pure quality. Fred assisting Bruno Fernandes. Who'd have thought it? Have a breath, mate. Maybe a cup of tea as well. A little sip, something like that. Laurie, you, you know you mentioned songs. Um, have you noticed, well, both of you, Manchester United fans have been singing about Andy Cole since February for 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 no reason whatsoever. And that it drove me mad. I couldn't understand why. Yeah. Given that obviously he doesn't play for the team anymore. So I asked about and I met a, met a couple of lads. I didn't tell you a few weeks ago. And they said just for a, a joke, they decided to start singing it in Plaza Real in Barcelona before the Europa League game. And it caught on, because if a song's going to catch on, then a European away is where it catches on. And every game now, we hear this song about Andy Cole. So about a month ago, I told him, I said, have you, have you heard the Stratford end are singing for you all the time? And he said, do they know something that, that I don't? <laughs> I dug around and that's the story. So I like the little uh, anecdotal stuff about how a song catches on. Isn't it also maybe because he's been kind of almost forgotten about a little bit because you talk about Harry Kane going for Alan Shearer's record and you've got Andy Cole there with, you know, the third most, uh, fourth most, never took a penalty. And I, I know that that's been kind of spoke about a little bit. So is it a bit of solidarity with that? Maybe the Haaland thing as well, because Haaland's yeah. been in the news Haaland a lot well, for, yeah. for beating the, the Premier League record, which was jointly held by Andy Cole and Alan Shearer. Andy, can you put something to bed here? Why do people still awkwardly sometimes refer to Andy Cole as Andrew Cole? Because it's still a thing now, isn't it? People still sort of feel like, oh, do I need to call him Andrew or is it okay to call him Andy? In one interview where he didn't particularly like the journalist and he, he had a beef with a few journalists who were very critical of him when he played for Manchester United. Speaking from experience. Yeah, he, he named some of them in a book that I did and one of the journalists got in touch with me and said, you know, I've seen that um, Andy Cole's got a problem with me. Um, could you put me in touch with him? So... I rang Andy Cole and said, this journalist wants to be put in touch with you. And he said, tell him where to go. So <laughs> that, that one didn't, that didn't work out. So in one, in one interview, and that's all it was, he said that Andrew, he was just being a little bit awkward, but he, he really do, doesn't mind in the slightest if he's called Andy or Andrew. And uh, he's very proud of his goal scoring record, especially because um, I think only one of them was a penalty. 
and it sometimes does get overlooked. But great player, and his son's doing well as Devante. He plays for Barnsley, and they've obviously done well. So he was going to, you know, last Friday when we all met up, he was going to come, but Barnsley played that night, so we lost out to Barnsley. I bet there's not many times in the world where Manchester loses out to Barnsley, is there? But we lost out that night. Do you mind uh, being called Andy, or do you ever prefer Andrew? Does anyone ever call you Andrew? Your mum? There's, there's, there's two people, uh, Lawrence, call me uh, Andrew. <laughs> people won't know that, will they? Listeners might not know that my, my full name is Lawrence. Um, so my mum calls it me, and, and Ben Thornley calls it oh. me. And I don't know why. I, I don't know whether this was like COVID solidarity. Sometimes it was only me and Ben in certain parts of stadiums. And he, he calls me Andrew. And uh, <laughs> Ben's a top lad. So I is. don't know. I'm, I'm quite quite buzzing the fact that Ben calls me Andrew I wear it as a badge of honour and, and obviously me mum <laughs> I'll vouch for that Benjamin Thornley is a terrific man yeah absolutely <laughs> I love his company before the games at Old Trafford I always have a word with him before the matches very very passionate Manchester United fan and extremely unfortunate not, not to have a, a huge role in Manchester United's fortunes in the 90s right let's bring it back to the game if we can um, one thing about the Eric Ten Hag speech after the match, Andy, that surprised me is just how rousing it was, really. I mean, you know, we've interviewed him, um, we've listened to his press conferences, we've been in his press conferences. Sometimes you're waiting for a little bit more from him almost, but he really rose to the occasion with the microphone this time. I think his English is better when he started. I think he understands the club better. He's living in the city, cycling around the city. I think he's right to feel emboldened by the season that he's just had. Um, I'm not going to say it again about the top four because it's actually top three now. But one person got in touch with me on Friday and, and this person knows his stuff and Laurie knows this person as well. And he strongly disagreed with me. He went, don't start settling for fourth. You know, you're becoming like the Ed Woodward of Manchester United settling for fourth. And I said, well, I actually do think a top four and a trophy is a success for this season, given where Manchester United started out. And that under Eric Ten Hag, Manchester United can, can build on this. How would you approach the, 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 the FA Cup final as a fan mentally? Because you know that Manchester City are, are, are brilliant. Do you sort of build an insurance in for yourself and say, I go expecting to lose? Or do you do what Eric's done? We can go there and, and we can win it. And you want that from your leader. You want it from the manager. And if the players are seeing that, because there's so many of them players who really need to be on top of their game, you know, Jaden Sancho, Anthony Martial, talking about some of the confidence lads, to, to, to have a real chance of landing one against City. Um, but they're going to be clear favourites. So good for him at the end of a season, in the sunshine, rallying the troops. And it's not, it's not a treble winning season at all for Manchester United, but... It's it's been good. Yeah. Also, I think as well, it's good to remind some supporters that they they need to get behind the team at Wembley and believe in it as well. You know, it's almost been forgotten that United beat City earlier on in this campaign at Old Trafford. I mean, fair enough, their form since has been vastly improved. But should I say this publicly? I don't know. But I've been slightly encouraged. Only because I'm tempting fate by saying it, not because I'm revealing any sort of secret source or anything. But I've been quite encouraged by the way that their Premier League seasons ended in the sense that they've really took the foot off the pedal. And that's not like Pep Guardiola. I mean, we were comparing Ten Hag to him last week when he said that he likes his players to have rhythm. But what they found is they've got quite a few players who have just got niggly injuries, not significant issues, but the type of thing that you don't really need to put yourself through if you've got a Champions League final and an FA Cup final to look for. And to me, 
you could look at that two ways. You could say that, well, that's great. They've had a couple of weeks rest and they'll be fresh for the final. But also, the way that Guardiola works, he likes his players to have rhythm. He gives them minutes sometimes, like Ten Hag does, when you wouldn't necessarily expect them to need to play. Um, and when I looked at the team sheet again today, I thought in one of these final two matches, he would get close to the sort of lineup that he'd play in the cup final against United. But considering the number of players that are missing... Um, it sort of finished with a bit of a whimper, their campaign. And I wonder, Laurie, if that could be a benefit to United. We won't talk too much about the final today, like you said before, but just to reflect on that point, if that's OK. Yeah, because it is linked to the game today, really, because, um, I mean, and, and we, we asked him um, about the City game um, afterwards as well. And I think you're right in touching on the belief aspect to it. He, he is making sure the fans can try and start believing and also the players. The players are there on the pitch, listening to the crowd's reaction to him talking about having a chance, and a really good chance of bringing the cut back and stopping the treble and, and the players giving everything for it. You know, it's, it's just starting to build that momentum where the players have it in their minds. This is what we're going out to do on Saturday. Um, for all that you're, as you say, people have kind of been saying it's an easy walkover for City. Um, after the game, he said, well, we beat them in January and also United in previous seasons have beaten City quite a few times anyway. So it is a one-off game. You know, they are the best team, I think he was saying, in the world. But, you know, we, we do have a chance and we've got to take that chance. And then in terms of the, the team that he selected today, I asked him about the changes that he made because, you know, you could see in some regards, I think he was resting some players um, to make sure that they were not going to, you know, like Luke Shaw, he, you know, he's performed such a, a crucial role and he's only, he, he's the kind of only player that can really do that, that, that what he does. Um, you know, resting him. Varane's obviously, you know, uh, kind of has delicate fitness issues sometimes, so to take him out. Um, but then other players like Rashford, start him up top just to see what it's like to have him up top because, you know, you can well imagine that he's going to be needed up top against Man City at some point. You know, will Marshall play the full game? We don't know. So I think they did that quite well. And also, it was nice how um, when the players were replaced, I, I don't know, usually players, I think, just they walk off don't they and, and they kind of get a drink maybe the rest of the teammates and, and it's the crowd that are clapping them but actually for example Fred went off today and he got applauded off by Bruno by Victor Lindelof and by David De Gea so it was kind of uh, it just made me sit back and go okay they're, they're, they are showing their appreciation for this guy who's you know, had a really good game Fred and again he might be used in the FA Cup final might even start the game might he given the way that he plays yeah he could and I just thought that sort of showed it, I don't know it just had a cohesion about it that as you say yeah it's great if you can rest players and totally change the team but this felt like okay you've got enough um, enough momentum and enough kind of players playing well to kind of get something going um, obviously Anthony uh, was out injured he he, he was um, on crutches but Tenag did say before the game that he thought he had a chance I mean yeah, I, I don't know. He's actually been quite honest with injuries, um, Eric Ten Hag, really. So I guess you take him at face value there. And I mean, this is a really uh, probably, you know, uh, as you're saying about, I probably shouldn't say this publicly, but I mean, Valt Vogels missed a great chance to score his first Premier League goal, you know, for Manchester United at the end. It, you know, it, it was decent movement from him to get into the back post and Sancho picked him out. Sancho, again, had a, had a good game, by the way, on, on the right-hand side. Him and Ten Hag had a little conversation just before David De Gea saved his penalty. Um, and then Sancho scored not long after that. And Ten Hag said, it wasn't to do with me <laughs> that he scored the, the goal. But in those moments, he likes to take a, you know, a, a pause, you know, take a chance to speak to his players. Um, but Sancho picked out Vegos. He missed the goal. 
and he was on the pitch, you know, head in hands. You know, so it meant something to him this game, this Fulham game. And I just sort of wonder, you know, is there any way that he is a pivotal figure? Could he score against City? That the vital goal. I mean, is that too wild to to, to speculate over? Um, but I don't know. I just thought that it was a good way to build up to what will be you know, an absolutely important game for Manchester United. I probably shouldn't say this publicly then if you two are saying it, but if he does score the winning goal in the <laughs> FA Cup final, I'm running on that pitch and I'm going to use one of them um, pole vaults, jump up and give him a big kiss. <laughs> yeah. And then just watch him celebrate the FA Cup. Well, so you'll, you'll anyway, have to, you'll have to catch, if he scores, you'll have to catch him because he'll be running off you know, as, as Carl said on the last podcast, sprinting as fast as you've ever seen him. If- I hope that Val isn't listening to this because if he hears that Andy Mitten's going to give him a big smacker if he scores, he might miss on purpose. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> he might just not stop running. You never know, mate. As long as he scores, that's the main thing, lads. Um, right. The last thing we need to reflect on about today is David De Gea and whether that is the final home match for him at Old Trafford with his contract coming to an end. Some interesting quotes from Eric Ten Hag. But at this minute, I need to remind you, we've got the live shows coming up in September. We're going to be at New Century in Manchester on Monday, the 4th of September, and then the day after at London's Leicester Square Theatre on Tuesday, September the 5th. To book tickets and for more information, head to myticket.co.uk and search for Talk of the Devils. See you there. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, I've just promised you that we'll talk about David De Gea and we will. And I've also promised you several times on the recent podcast that we will open our mailbag and answer your questions. Remember that email address, devilspod at theathletic.com. Get in touch with questions that you've got, points about the podcast. If you've got any banter for any of us, we always welcome a little bit of frivolity on the podcast, of course. So please get in touch. Right, we're going to start it then on David De Gea. The question is from Owate. So is there any talk of David De Gea getting a testimonial? would be a shame not to recognise our current longest-serving squad member, especially as he's been in our Player of the Year so frequently. Will this be part of his contract negotiations? Peace and solidarity to you too, Awate. Um, Andy, what do you reckon? Testimonials have changed. They've gone from being of financial benefit to the player as a reward uh, to players donating the money to charity or such like. I think in David's case... Um, it would be more symbolic and for him to choose where the money would go to. It absolutely could be used in negotiations for a contract. I think he's been offered a, a good and fair contract by Manchester United who want to bring some sort of parity to the wage structure. I think he knows he had an absolute result with his last contract. I don't think he'll come close to earning, certainly in Spain, 
what he's being offered at Manchester United. Equally, by paying him less, it gives Manchester United some room for manoeuvre by bringing in another goalkeeper in, someone who could properly challenge and maybe even be a number one as well. So I think that's... I do think he'll sign if you're going to push me on it, but but he, he hasn't signed as yet. And I think if he does, then he'll continue to move up. I mean, I think there's only one player above him now who hasn't come through Manchester United youth system, and that's Wayne Rooney in terms of the all-time appearances. So... Yeah, I, I, I do think I do think he will sign, but I get all the conjecture about him this season. We spoke about him in depth in this podcast, and I think if he is properly pushed by someone who he thinks can challenge him for number one, that would be a better situation for everybody. Yeah, I've been there 12 years now, David De Gea. Incredible. That's why, obviously, the testimonial is being mentioned. The last remaining player in the Manchester United squad who's won the Premier League title at Old Trafford, which is quite a depressing thought now that Phil Jones is is moving on. Laurie, what was said about De Gea today? Yeah, I mean, today just full of praise for him, really, um, in terms of the way that you know he pulled off that save that probably did change the, the course of the game because, I mean, 2-0 down at home to Fulham, it's a difficult thing to overcome, even though United did you know create enough chances, really, to score more than two. Um, and then, yeah, he was asked about his contract and he just sort of said he repeated what he said previously. Um, yeah, he wants to stay. They want him to stay. We will find each other. So I think that's as clear an indication as, as you're going to get um, from, from a manager. And yeah, all the noises I hear privately are that it will get sorted. Um, it's just a matter of time. Definitely something to keep an eye on. Of course, we'll have the very latest on that uh, on the Athletics. So keep your eyes peeled for that. On the subject of goalkeepers, actually, we've had a few questions about Matej Kovar, who's maybe not a name that many Manchester United fans will be fully aware of. He's on loan, uh, or has been on loan this season at Sparta Prague from United. We've had loads of questions about him, strangely, uh, but maybe because he's actually stood out playing in the Czech Republic. Uh, Andy, I know that you've been across a, a bit of this. So Ben O'Sullivan said, he's playing at a team that will potentially be in the Champions League next season and is averaging a clean sheet every three games. A big, physical, commanding keeper that's comfortable with his feet and has even saved a few penalties. Has our goalkeeping solution, but under our noses the whole time. Is it good for a goalkeeper to go on loan to a club which wins all the time? Or is it better to be really busy at a club which loses all the time. <laughs> I can see pros and cons to both. He's 23 now. Um, among his biggest fans are actually David De Gea and some of the coaching staff really felt that he could become uh, a top goalkeeper. I have asked a, a couple of people, so maybe I can add more depth to this in, in the next podcast, but certainly very highly rated. But then most goalkeepers are when they're coming through. They sort of build up the confidence a little bit. I think the fact that he's... Doing really well. I wouldn't say in a top European league, but as you say, Champions League next season um, could could be excellent if he is to be there next season. So there, are, there have been a couple of um, Czech goalkeepers at Manchester United, but I know that Matic was the most highly rated one. And certainly by David De Gea, of all the young goalkeepers coming through, he thought he was um, the best one. It's been a successful loan because he did have one at Swindon Town a few years ago where he was recalled because it just wasn't working out, partly because the club were all over the shop and Prague has worked out for him. Yeah, brilliant. Right. We'll move it slightly forward to the right-back slot. Um, Arjun's question. I can tell you, Arjun, that Carl Anker was very keen to answer this, but unfortunately he's not on the pod tonight. So Laurie Whitwell's going to ably take this one on. Would you take Delo's form, Laurie, in the first half of the season? 
or would you prefer Wan-Bissaka's form in the second half of the season? And is there a genuine possibility that Wan-Bissaka is being headed out on the back of a good second half of the season to recoup the majority of his transfer value? What do you think? Um, I think on the latter uh, question, um, no. Uh, that does happen sometimes where, you know, in certain games managers might give a player a bit of time just to put them in the shot window. Um, you know, as soon as I know Sir Alex Ferguson used to do this, um, you know, for a young player might give them, you know, a showing in the last ten minutes of a you know, even a Champions League game or something like that, or an FA Cup game or start stick them in the shot window. In the League Cup game. Exactly. And and as soon as you do that, the value goes up because okay, well he's actually played, you know, in Europe or, you know, he's he's started um you know a couple of games in the League Cup. So th- there is that, but but this has been way too serious for a manager to do that in this situation. I think what happened was Diogo Dallo lost a little bit of form. He had a couple of injuries, didn't he, as well, after the World Cup. And Wambasaka really seized his chance. I've touched on this a little bit in the piece that's it's currently, you know, going through the editing process and it'll be out on Monday morning that captures a lot of what Eric Ten Hag's done this season, both anecdotally and then sort of having a look at the data. And and what he's done with Wambasaka and Mitchell van der Gaag as well in particular, who's who's the coach that kind of really does handle the sessions um, at Carrington, is do some t- tailored um, one-on-one sessions. And, and, and Wan-Bissaka's really responded well to those, I think, because you can see how he, you know, he, he comes inside even. You know, the, the inverted fullback role that Ten Hag has, has started developing as the season's gone on, I think wan has showed himself um, comfortable with. And I think he's probably one actually now where he was kind of rested out of this team today. Dogo Dallo started. I would I would expect Wambasaka to come back in against Man City actually so so good as his second half of the season been. Yeah. Which one would I take? I mean, yeah, Diogo Dallo at his best, you you probably say offers more in an attacking sense, but I think Wambasaka has developed there. I, I think it's it's close between the two of them. And 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 something else to touch on, I mean Wambasaka, you know, he has struggled at times at Manchester United and I think even this season he's he's been a bit low. And so for him to come through that, it seems like to me he's enjoying his football. I think he's a real positive both for him and, and the club as a whole. And and I, you, you just sort of hope that if he can if he can keep going at that rate, maybe he, he can be a Manchester United player for the long term. Because certainly it was a position that Eric Ten Hag was looking at and, and would have probably sold uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka last summer if they'd been um, the right offer. Um, I think John Murtagh, football director, spoke to him and, and, and reminded him that he had shown good form for Manchester United previously and, and he was worth, you know, taking a chance on. And I think actually that's been um, the case, you know, as the season's gone on. So, um, yeah, good question. It's going to be an interesting one in the summer because I think ideally Ten Hag would, would probably like someone that's more naturally attacking, um, comfortable attacking. But then again, you know, needs must and, and you know, priorities will be elsewhere in the transfer market so I think I think both players have shown good glimpses this season of what they're capable of I think it's important for United Andy to have the option of Wan-Bissaka at right back because even if even if attacking uh, is not his biggest strength I mean he has shown like Laurie said some improvement in that aspect but one-on-one defending has always been his strength and again this season as a one-on-one defender and bearing in mind you know we're going into a Champions League campaign they're potentially going to be looking at playing matches to win you know, the title even again or being contention for the title next season, however that looks for United. It is important to have pure defenders, isn't it? Um, you know, when you're up against the direct opponent, I'd back Wan Bissaka over Delo, I think. Yep, I think he's in a better position with Manchester United than Delo. I think if you mix them both up in a bag, you'll get a player who's better than Maldini. <laughs> Delo had a very good start <laughs> to the season. If you look at 10 minutes into the friendly game at Cadiz, 
when Manchester United were 2-0 down with Aaron Wan-Bissaka playing his first game for a while. Where he has come from that point is really impressive. I think he looks more confident playing for Manchester United now. I think physically he's stronger. He's done that one-on-one training that Laurie's talked about. I think he's getting better going forward. He's still got a long way to go. I think if you gave a clean slate to Eric Ten Hag and said you can choose any right-backs in the world, neither of them would be on it, but that's not the situation. There are other priority positions. But I think that Juan Bazaka is in a better position now than Dan Diogo Delot. He's obviously got his contract to, to discuss as well. But I think if, if they are sensible on, on the money, then I see no reason why he wouldn't stay either. You can pick out stats on both of them which show that they're the best players in the world. But we all know what we see. And we know that some of the fullbacks at Manchester City and Liverpool have been key to their success in recent years. But then some of those same fullbacks at Liverpool have been reasons why that they've been so criticised and didn't finish in the top four this year. Which I think we should remind all listeners to this podcast. Liverpool, the greatest team ever, finished miles behind Manchester United this season. I couldn't have seen that at the start of this season. Can we take a moment on that as well, actually? Because, I mean, that was like, you know, it was only last week that people were saying, this is going to be awkward, this is going to be tight, Liverpool are going to pip us on goal difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it finished eight points United ahead of Liverpool. Eight. Which is one more than the goals they scored at Anfield. But what <laughs> would you rather have, that one win or Champions League football? I remember in August, before they came to Old Trafford, and... People saying if we beat Liverpool, then we can go above them. Something like that. Liverpool were just seen at the start of this season as being the only contender to Manchester City. That has changed massively this year. And Manchester United have finished eight, which is one more than seven points above Liverpool. I'm having that. Can we just talk about another rival for a moment as well? Because I don't know how people will feel about this. So I'm going to put it out there and you two might rip my head off for it. But I'm gutted that Leeds got relegated. I really, really, really enjoy the matches between Manchester United and Leeds. Not because it's an automatic six points, like some people will automatically shout, uh, considering our record against them. But there's just there's just something really special about that fixture. You know, there's a real sort of underlying vitriol and hatred that I quite enjoy. It's rare in the modern game to have that depth of feeling. But Leeds hate Man U, and I love that. Yeah, you're right. Don't say Bournemouth, Andy, here, right? Do not say Bournemouth. But if you wake up on a Saturday morning, who would you rather be playing? <laughs> You've made your peace Le- for them. Leeds United or, um, you know, a Bournemouth-style club. Le- Le- Leeds Leeds are a big city club. There's that massive edge there. I, I don't think the edge is anything like it was in the 90s. But no, then no, no. I stood on some at Busby Way in February talking to a really good Leeds fan, proper lad who went home and away, and all their mob came past singing absolutely vile songs. And I just thought, this is very much alive as a rivalry. And they got a draw that night, didn't they? They were one of the very few teams to take points yeah. from Old Trafford this year. Yeah, 2-0 up, weren't they? Were they 2-0 up? Or 2-1 up? 2-0. Yeah. I like Leeds playing Manchester United. I wanted Everton to go down. I don't know why. I respect Everton. I've got mates for Evertonians. I just think that they've been sailing too close to the wind. And in, in the hierarchy of my brain, you've had your chance. Get yeah. down, Shep. Yeah. But, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I mean, in their place, well, not, not in Everton's place, in Leeds' place, come Luton, Andy. Yeah. And can you tell us the capacity of Kenilworth oh, Road? I, I got lucky on that one. I went there a month ago because I thought there's a good story brewing here. 
And I met the chief executive, right? And I arrived in Luton in its shabby train station with a low opinion of Luton. And I'd not been since 92 when Manchester United virtually lost the league there. And speaking to Mr. Sweet, the Luton chief executive, after 20 minutes of him, you would think that Luton is a better place than New York. He's so proud of that town. And I wrote a huge piece and I spoke to all the players and I spoke to fans and I sat next to the legendary scorer. And... At that point, you know, Luton looked good for the playoffs. So, yeah, 10,500 is the answer to your question. It'll cost them eight to 10 million pounds to bring Kenilworth Road up to Premier League standards. They're going to do that. They absolutely do not want to leave there. They think their tiny, cramped stadium is an advantage to them. They find it hilarious that big name players are going to have to go there and suffer. It's not changed at all in 30 years most of that money will be spent on facilities for media because they've heard that you're coming and you know that they can't just give you a cup of tea <laughs> so they're going to be offering cocktails all sorts of high-end cuisine loads of media you know floodlighting that sort of stuff and at the same time they're building a new stadium so they're probably the only team in the world who are paying out money to build two stadiums at the same time <laughs> not even united could manage that I wondered, actually, I was speaking to somebody recently about this and, and Luton, like, do they have to spend that money? Like, if they're going to come up and go, it's like 10 million is a lot of money. Yeah. Like, could, could they just not do it, take the fine, whatever it is from the Premier League? You know, they, they're going to do it, are they? They're comfortable doing it. They're, they're like, we're going to earn however much they're going to earn, like 10 times that figure. Yeah. They've got to do it but, um, because at the moment they've just got like one chair to put a camera on. <laughs> and when you get into the Premier League, so they, they're, they're going to actually lose seats for, for putting all the new camera positions so in. So you know the new capacity people there. like Ian, <laughs> honestly, mate, we could go deep here, right? So <laughs> he, he actually said... There was a phrase about stadiums I learned from him, but they will lose some seats because of the new cameras because you've got to put a seat in for Ian off the telly who presents his podcast, haven't you? <laughs> hey, I need a good view, mate. He'll have one right, right behind the manager. Can't think of good questions they if can, I can't see the match. They can maybe squeeze a few hundred seats in, but it is so cramped. It is unbelievably cramped, that stadium, that you look at it and think, how on earth have they done this? Luton Town is a brilliant story. They've not done it with a benefactor. It's a town that loads of people look down on. Gentrification's been promised for 40 years. They started talking about a new stadium in 1961. It never happened. They've got players there who were in non-league who are now going to play in the Premier League. It is a brilliant story. Yeah, it certainly is. It's going to be extremely fascinating to see them in the Premier League and <laughs> all the different players and teams travelling to play a Luton away is going to be an experience that I think most people remember for a very long time. Right, the other side of this break, we'll answer more of your emails then. Remember, if you want to get in touch with us, the email address is devilspod at theathletic.com. And also remember, if you're not a subscriber, you can sign up now for the special podcast price of $1.99 a month for the first 12 months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash manunitedpod. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Right, more of your questions. Uh, next one is from TJ in Australia. I have a difficult time watching Maguire put on a captaincy armband. I also don't think Bruno is the right man for the job. I would much rather see Casemiro or Varane leading the club next season. I wonder what your thoughts were on that. Laurie, what are your thoughts on that? Mm, no, I think Bruno's a, a good captain for Manchester United. I know that he gets stick for his reaction sometimes. If, if the if the game isn't going the way he wants, you know, it can get petulant. But I don't know. I think that's a sign of the way that he wants to win all the time. And you know, we've we've seen other captains in the past be pretty petulant. You know, uh, I'm pretty sure Wayne Rooney's had a few. Roy Keane probably a couple of occasions where you go that was a bit petulant. So I, I don't know. I, I don't really. I think he's a he's actually a very good captain. I mean, the way that Eric Ten Hag responds to him as well. He came off today, gave him a big hug. Uh, when he came off and you can sense every time that he speaks about him publicly there's a deep um, appreciation there not only for what he gives on the pitch for himself but also the way I think he carries across the instructions that Ten Hag wants and and conveys that to his teammates and and, you know from people that I speak to that see him around Carrington I think he does he does speak to his teammates in a way that is conducive to improvement so yeah I think I think him and Casemiro we've seen actually they've, they've had a few sort of not tiffs but you know uh, strong, robust conversations after games, um, but they clearly have a good relationship because I think it's one of those where you can have the most honest conversation with the people you respect the most and the people that you feel are on your level. Um, I mean, after after Bruno scored today, uh, he made a particular point of waiting for Casemiro and they, and they where sort of ran up together and jumped up and did a shoulder bump together. So, so clearly, you know, they've got a good relationship. And Casemiro is, yeah, he's a leader as well. He speaks to people again around the place and the way that he carries himself and then just sort of quietly, you know, suggests how people might want to um, also conduct themselves. I think he's a real positive. So he, he would be a perfectly, you know, good vice captain. I think the fact that he's only been at the club for one year, he's 31. There's not really any value, I don't think, in, in changing the armband to him. Similarly with Rafael Varane, I think it's fine to have him in the role that he's got now because he isn't, he does have to, you know, manage how many games he plays each season. He's done well this season. He's not been out for, it, with injury too too much actually but so I, I can see what you're saying about Harry Maguire because he has become a peripheral figure um, and perhaps he would never look totally comfortable with the armband um, I think certainly when Cristiano Ronaldo came in that, that changed the dynamic um, but I think it's I think he does other things that you'd expect from a captain so you know I think he makes sure that the fans are always engaged you know he, he kind of when he when he's walking around the pitch today, for example, you know he's he's talking to some of them and and kind of you know making sure that he's applauding them back. And I don't know, I know that's small, but I, I think that's that's fine. That's what you kind of want ideally from a, a captain. But yeah, I think Bruno Fernandez is is Manchester United's captain really, and and Harry Maguire when he plays takes the armband. I think the captain has to play, and Harry's not been playing. You're right, Laurie. Harry does a lot of the small details well. I think he knows what it means to be a Manchester United captain in terms of the fan culture. 
He'll do the functions. He's 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 good on that side of things. I don't think he played badly at all uh, against Fulham, but he needs to be playing more matches. Manchester United need to decide what they're going to do with him because he's a player who United will get decent money for. But as we've seen, United have needed the four central defenders uh, at plenty of times this season. Uh, Casimiro, I mean, he's, he's not really speaking English yet, but then Antonio Valencia didn't speak English and he was the captain. So from what I understand, Bruno Fernandes is the one who has a lot of the leadership qualities and he's respected by pretty much everyone in the dressing room as well. Okay, thank you for your question, TJ. Uh, next one then. Andy, I think actually I'll direct this to you first because I think this is probably something that you've worked on down the years. So this is from James in Brisbane in Australia. Hello, James. Thank you for your question. Um, my question involves the Old Trafford atmosphere. Do you think having a song stroke chant that the whole crowd sings together before kickoff is a good idea? If so, what songs come to mind for each of you, Andy, you've surely worked on something like this or talked about it over the years because it's been a, a debate, hasn't it, for United fans for a long time. Did you know United fans used to sing You'll Never Walk Alone properly? Uh, I think you've told me that, yeah, but I didn't otherwise, yeah, no. No, they used to. I think it's a good point, this, but I think whatever happens, it's got to come naturally and organically. I think if you start thrusting it on people, then it's not quite the same. Yeah. And Manchester United should have a great anthem. I think United's fan base, especially the away fans, do a really good job of of original chants. They're often copied. We spoke last week about City fans copying that Alangas song. Don't always get it right. I don't like that um, that Casemiro one. I think a better player deserves a better song. But on balance, I think... United fans are pretty respected for that. And it it would just have to be, it'd have to come from the fans. You know, the worst thing would be if the club said, okay, we're now going to start singing this song and it's also going to be the Eurovision entry for Great Britain this year. And it's about Manchester United. <laughs> I might have a piece this week in The Athletic. Well, I will have about songs. Yeah. I've been speaking to different players, yeah. So I've been having some very funny um, conversations with Manchester United players about songs. But it's a hard question to answer, isn't it? Because, you know, Madrid have got that Halle Madrid and it's really inspiring. And lots of clubs, you know, at Seville, it was amazing, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Seville was incredible. That, that anthem before the match, it was brilliant. Well, I've got a begrudging respect for Anfield as well, to be honest. I mean, the experience for players and and fans attending for the first time, and you can say what you want about the atmosphere during the game because it doesn't always hit the heights that people talk about, like the majority of big grounds uh, in this country, but... You'll never walk alone before you know a big game at Anfield is is an experience, definitely. I mean, it was at Nottingham Forest earlier on this season, yeah. Friday night game against Newcastle, and their song Mull of Kintyre, I think it's called, was was bellowing out as well. Oh, it's and, brilliant. And that's absolutely fantastic. It's Similar really thing, good. Scarves Aloft, all that sort of thing. I mean, Laurie, if, if United fans were to adopt a song, is there any that would even be in contention, you know, that from that organic sense like Andy talks about? Ian, you can't ask him. He'll think of like Harry Styles or Taylor Swift or someone like that. Harry Styles is a red, mate. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Could we get him to write an anthem? I don't think he's he's got sign of the times, but that's not really a kind of a big anthem because you want it to be something where the words have some kind of meaning for achievement, aspiration. Stop your crying, it's a sign of the times is not a brilliant a brilliant thing no, to bellow exactly. out from the terraces, is it? No. <laughs> No, that's what I mean. Might have been appropriate uh, at times in recent years, but um, yeah, something more sort of uplifting maybe. It needs to be organic, doesn't it? Because I mean, 
Arsenal have adopted this song this season where a fan has written lyrics and and kind of and then Arteta showed it to the players and, and they, they so they've they've adopted one for this season, you know, which maybe that'll sustain. Yeah. But it kinda of, I don't know, it felt a little bit forced that I kind of feel like it needs to be, as Andy says, a Euro away where someone coins something that really captures the emotion of being a fan and it needs to be powerful and kind of intimidating as well. Um I mean, like weirdly <laughs> When you said like sort of anthemic songs, like Aerosmith, Don't Want to Miss a Thing was one of my favourite songs when I was a kid. Um, but I don't, so, and United being, Mate. you know, the, Don't Want to Miss a Thing, I Don't Want to Miss United. No. Mate. Aerosmith. Well, there is a link there because the, the singer's daughter, Liv Tyler, married Dave Gardner, who's from Salford. He's Beckham's best mate, isn't he? Okay. So we, there you could, go. we could do so a tenu- tenuous link there. David Beckham's son Cruz was at Old Trafford today, actually. Against Fulham. Watching the game. Getting some selfies. Mm. He looks exactly the same as his dad. Yeah, the lucky thing. Um, do you know one for me, Andy, that sticks in my head is Sit Down by James. And I'm not sure why, but I seem to remember it being played a lot when United were winning titles in the 90s. It always seemed to be on the playlist after the games in the celebration. Obviously, We Are the Champions by Queen was first. Um, but that that's in my head as a bit of a Mancunian anthem as well, maybe. Am I, am I miles off with that? Given Manchester's musical history, there's got to be one tune that can come out of that. It's got to leave you when that song finishes thinking that you are the proudest person in the world to support this football team. It's got to be sabre-rattling. And if you think of Real Madrid, I think Placido Domingo sang that, so he was a Real Madrid fan, so it all plays into it. And it's just got to set the stage perfectly. Sheffield United is about a greasy chip butty. And it's wonderful. It's absolutely brilliant if you're there. And we will be there because they've come back up for next season. So it's just it's just, just got to be organic. And people are still going to moan, aren't they? Because it's not going to be for everyone. But it's a good question. There's good talking points around it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, keep your questions coming. We'll do more on the next podcast. Um, obviously, to preview the FA Cup final, if you've got questions about that game or the match or Wembley, whatever it might be, get in touch devilspod at theathletic.com we just need to wrap it up by reflecting on the final match of the women's season as well which took place on Saturday Manchester United made it I would think seven wins in a row to cap off the season but unfortunately they weren't able to catch Chelsea who were named champions confirmed by a 3-0 win over Reading and Andy there's been some brilliant progress made by the women's team you can tell there has because we talk about them all the time now but I can't overstate quite how important a summer this is now for the team. I think it's been an excellent season for Manchester United women. Exceeded expectations, European football for the first time, beating Manchester City for the first time, reaching the FA Cup final and probably the better team in that game. The problem is it came up against a Chelsea team who won the league and the cup, who just got into a groove of winning and winning and winning. And I think Gates have really improved for the women's team at Manchester United. Big, big summer ahead because the club are going to have to spend a lot more uh, to keep a lot of those players in what is a very young team. But congratulations to all. Yeah, I mean, we've touched on this already, haven't we, with Batier and and Russo, two big players um, that are in contract negotiations at the moment. Uh, Charlotte Harper's actually done a really good piece wrapping up United's women's team uh, season. And in that is reporting about Arsenal's interest in Russo being... Uh, coming back again I know they made a bid in January for her and so you sort of wonder 
you know, what will happen there. If United do lose both of those players, that's going to cost a lot of money to try and replace them. Plus with the addition of Champions League football and the games that will um, add to the calendar, then you know, they really do need a full squad because, you know, Chelsea were able to bring on a couple of really experienced players in the FA Cup final and that kind of won them the game really, took it away from United after their good start. So, yeah, they're sort of big decisions for the team to have to make. Charlotte's a top writer, isn't she? She really, she, she, um, I introduced her to one about his agent. Juanpi, if you're listening to this, sort your head out and make sure that Honor stays at Manchester United. I realise she's Catalan and playing for Barcelona might be very attractive, but sort your head out or I'm going to drop you from playing football with me. Thank you. <laughs> yes, Andy Mitten, you tell him. Um, it goes without saying, doesn't it? Keep your eye on The Athletic for the very latest on the women's team and the summer ahead, of course, as well. Remember our live shows as well, just to repeat once more. We are going to be at New Century in Manchester on Monday the 4th of September and then the following night at Leicester Square Theatre in London on Tuesday the 5th of September. To book tickets and for more information, head to myticket.co.uk and search for Talk of the Devils. Right, that's it then for this episode, but a big thank you to Andrew Mitten and Lawrence Whitwell as well and thank you for listening at home too. We'll see you on the next one. Take care. Bye-bye. for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events we've got the spot our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years providing a 100% guarantee with every order from a worldwide selection of live events the widest choice of tickets and industry leading partnerships StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence StubHub an official partner of The Athletic